Hello, welcome to our first Arts and Heritage podcast discussing the benefits, aims and impacts of artist projects in heritage sites and museum collections. This is hosted by Judith King, Arts and Heritage's Creative Director, who discusses our up-and-coming Meeting Point Commission at Cone Valley Museum with artist Ed Clues and Melanie Williams from Cone Valley Museum. In this episode, we discuss the advantages of working with artists in the museum sector generally, as well as the more specific mutual benefits of Cone Valley Museum's collaboration with Ed. From breaking down hierarchies between artists, audiences and volunteers, to telling the alternative histories of spaces and objects, and reinterpreting collections from new and defamiliarising perspectives. Good morning, Melanie and Ed. It's so nice to see you. And uh, we're going to just talk this morning about the Meeting Point Commission at uh, Combe Valley Museum, which I'm going to leave, Melanie, I'm going to leave you to, to sort of talk a little bit about. But just to go through that Meeting Point was set up by Arts and Heritage to encourage small to modest sized museums to work with an artist for the first time and, and see how working with that artist changes perhaps practices or changes uh, the way that the collections or the places the museum actually is presented um, to the public and, and the benefits of actually working with an artist can bring, which we and Arts and Heritage are very passionate about and obviously set up Meeting Point to do that. So I'm just going to start now by asking you, Melanie, I think, is why? Why did you actually think that you would like to work with an artist? What prompted you to sort of apply to the Meeting Point programme and, and what were you thinking about what an artist could bring to Combe Valley Museum? And also a little bit about the museum in the first place, I think, would be really interesting to hear. Thanks, Judith. I think to summarise the whole thing, we saw Meeting Point and the project as a golden opportunity, which is exactly what it's turned out to be, to take us forward into a different way of looking at the museum and looking at the collection and opening up the collection and the way we operated into the future really. Convalor Museum is coming up to its 50th year. It's an entirely volunteer run museum of the the weaving industry and uh, handloom weaving industry in the Combe Valley area of West Yorkshire from the mid-19th century onwards really. And its setting, the Combe Valley, has changed markedly over that time and the woollen industry has changed markedly. But the recording the history and trying to keep a, a living history base for that has been a very important part of what we do. So we're a small building. I think it was Judith when she visited it described as a little bit of being like a TARDIS. You know, you see the front door and a couple of traditional handloom weaving weavers cottage windows and then it, you move back into this much larger building going back. And we have some unique things in there not only the artefacts that are in there, but we have some unique people in there with unique skills. And I think that was what we saw, was this was an opportunity to work with a contemporary artist who would come in and give us a completely different way of looking at the museum and would enable us to see a different direction that would um, encourage a, a much wider audience to come to us. The Cone Valley and the, the museum area has a Historically, it's been a very non-conformist area in the broadest terms. So over the years, it's welcomed in non-conformist groups uh, fleeing from religious persecution hundreds of years ago. It's got more chapels than I think any other area in, in the country, certainly within West Yorkshire. And it also has uh, always had a community that is fiercely independent 
I'm fiercely about the dignity of the working man. And I don't think it's for nothing that we are housing the former uh, socialist club premises that was, were given to us. And I mean, all of those with with broad political themes, you know, that is the the mentality and, and the, I suppose, the ethos with which people in the area live their lives. And we wanted to be able to have an artist who would get what we were. So that was one side of it. But the other thing that I think the project has done, it's been a wonderful learning curve for us. Wonderful learning curve. We've been able to see the skills of our volunteers in a different way. They've seen the skills in a different way by Ed being able to reflect back to them just what they are doing. But also we've been able to step back from the museum and, and look at it through somebody else's eyes. And that has been a great learning curve for the future to carry on work like this. So I think that's where we saw it. That's brilliant. Yeah, you, you're right. When I first came to Cairn Valley Museum, I, I, I sort of it was in the taxi, you know, from Huddersfield Station in the taxi, dropped off. And then looking at it, I thought, well, that's really tiny. I mean, it was just really tiny, nestled amongst the, the sort of the cobbled street there. And I thought, why well, not open the door? And, and I thought, well, this is really, really tiny. And then it just opens out into your right, into the weaver's cottages uh, at the back with these most extraordinary uh, looms right at the top. And I mean, I'm sure Ed will talk about this as well, the clog making workshop. And it was so extraordinary. And not only that, volunteer run, first time that Arts and Heritage had worked with a completely volunteer run organisation and the commitment that you have to that organisation and your volunteers have to, you know, running it and to do the work that you do is is really commendable. Um, so you were part of our Meeting Point programme. We were delighted to to have you there. And then we had this day, didn't we, mm. in uh, York, where you actually sort of pitched your idea to about 70, over 70 artists in the room, artists and writers and architects and textile artists and performers, actually. You sort of threw out your museum and, and your challenge to those artists that were sitting in the room as to someone to respond to it in some way. Ed, you were sitting in that room uh, listening um, amongst all those 70 artists. What was it that actually you started listening a little bit more intently about what Melanie was saying about Cone Valley? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I've always been very fond of the Northwest and um, particularly the Cone Valley because of its history and the presence of these incredible mills, some of which are still operating, obviously not as many as there were. But I think there was a spirit that I had some experience of in, in that area about kind of regeneration and new ideas that certainly kind of born out of the past old industry. So a lot of these kind of mills were reappropriated. And, and also I just really liked the sense of history of making, just making in the area, something that was immediately I identified with and I think from from out of all the, the presentations that were given that day I just something I don't know something really sort of deep down just sort of sparked a, a, an interest that I really wanted to work, <laughs> work with this museum and particularly with with the volunteers and uh, Melanie and Mark um, I just really liked their presentation and how they kind of there was something very incredibly warm about the way they talked about the museum as well that was that was unlike anything else presented on the day and and immediately I just thought I could I could see myself working there there was something that felt really kind of familiar to me about it and particularly that it was volunteer led 
you know, I, I think it, it opened up many more opportunities for me to kind of find new ways of working, not only within my own practice, but also engaging and collaborating. It's something that I'm really keen on, you know, and I think it's something that uh, is maybe a common experience for a lot of artists is you, you know, you spend a lot of time on your own in a studio and it can be quite tricky sometimes, but to work with a group of experts, you know, as they all are at the museum. And, and something that I said on the first kind of visit I made, the kind of first recce visit was, is this like an art school? And it's exactly what it feels like. It's like an art school. But then you've got brilliant bakers and brilliant communicators and historians and teachers and educators of all type. It was just extraordinary. And and I, I think I I really, really wanted to to engage with people on their level as well. Like I didn't want to come in as an artist and sort of I suppose, impose my ideas. I really wanted to hear what what they had to tell me and work with them on a level that was so important. So yeah, I was just so delighted to to have been chosen. I was completely over the moon. It was an extraordinary day when we we had those interviews. Um, I remember you coming in with a double bass, I think it was. Yes. Do you remember? You sort of, it's a very, very narrow staircase up into the interview room. And there was this sort of thudding sound with you sort of like coming in with this double bass. I think the bass came up the stairs before me. Yes, it did. I remember thinking, okay, well, I wonder if you were going to do a performance or something <laughs> like that. It was extraordinary. But on that interview panel, we we did have the experts that you talked about. We had Raymond, uh, who is, could you tell us a little bit about uh, mm. Raymond Melody? He's so, you know, he's he's extraordinary man. Yeah, he is. And I was going to say the double bass, Ed, was just it says something about the, the cultural heritage of the area and the musical heritage because the double bass was just, oh, yeah, it's about a double day, bass. It was no, there was no issue to that. It was like, you know, people all have instruments and sing. So that was just perfect. Yeah, Raymond, in fact, Raymond's father began as one of the handling weavers in the museum and he has an extraordinary professional background as a weaver um, and has done all sorts of exciting things. But... He now is very self-deprecating, but is incredibly skilled as the operator of our handloom, um, big handloom uh, weaving operation there. And he is also, Raymond's very forward-looking and outward-looking in that he's, you know, he's looking for people to work with and he's looking for people to train and he's, you know, he's got the ideas to do that. But the quality of, of cloth that he produces is extraordinary and he is a very much a dying breed. You know, there are not that level of skill. It's not something that we would find. That was why Ed was the perfect match, we felt, for us, because Ed was coming in. I, yeah, I think it's fair to say as much to want to learn from the experts that we had, as much as Ed was, we were wanting Ed to come and, and, and give us the benefit of, you know, his skill and, and artistry. So that's why I think those partnerships have worked really well. Um, so, yeah, Raymond and also the cloggers are, you know, fundamental to what we do as a museum. And I think the other thing that worked there was the personal contact. It was very clear early on that Ed got what we were about. And that was so important for us. And he immediately engaged with the groups that he, he was talking to. They felt they could trust that he knew what they were about. Were they a little bit nervous about working with a, an artist in the first instance? I think so. I think it was a bit... It was a bit outside what people maybe thought the museum was about. It was taking us a step forward into contemporary art, can have all sorts of connotations around it that we wanted to kick out and get rid of that. I think suddenly people began to look at what they had in their hands as makers and realise that actually 
their level of skill was also about being an artist as a maker as well. And I think that has been something for the future for us. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as you said, there is a sort of nervousness from the volunteers, specifically volunteers, but also staff as well as the, the, the sort of uh, what what is going to happen here. You know, why are we bringing in artists? We're presenting our work here. Why do we need an artist? But it's such, um, well, we'll hear from Ed in a minute, but, you know, it, it really does sort of change the way that you look at what you have, mm, I suppose. Absolutely, and, absolutely. and And it's about that exchange, isn't it? It's mm. just about communication and exchange and learning and, and, and developing and, and the relevance of everything to contemporary life. So, um, well, I immediately think of the day when Ed came in and went and the first time he looked at our collection, because Anne Hodge, who cares for our collection, is absolutely pristine in the museum standards to which she... Uh, looks after everything and even to let Ed in to touch things was you have no idea the compliment she paid you back doing that Ed but also it was Ed opening samplers and looking I mean that we've got a piece of pottery that he picked up and, and we looked again with fresh eyes because he was so wowed by it and all sorts of things that tell the history of the people through the objects that just made us stop and look at the collection again. Ed could I move on to you could you tell us a little bit about your practice and then you know, how you developed your ideas for Cone Valley Museum after yeah. coming up with the double base. Yeah. Being chosen. <laughs> I uh, principally look at historic architecture, landscape and objects. And my practice has really evolved over um, the last sort of 19 years. And I've explored all sorts of areas and ways of working, mostly two-dimensional. I have done some illustration but, um, but I'm really interested in how landscape buildings and objects are kind of conduits to other ideas or other notions of the past. I'm really interested in this idea that, that the past is not a fixed thing. It's very much in flux and in constant conversation with the present and the future, but also um, it's not safe either. The past is quite dangerous. You know, it can, it can reveal all sorts of things about our present that are probably kind of uncomfortable as we have been seeing over the last kind of few years in all sorts of aspects of, um, of our kind of life. Um, but to go back to the Con Valley Museum, yeah, I initially was interested in a lot of the kind of visual language of the objects in the collection, particularly the textile works, which were quite, um, in some cases, quite kind of common things and that they were made quite frequently by young girls principally as a kind of an example of showing off their skill or their focus it was quite a sort of uh, the thing to do at quite a young age but in the case of a few of the samplers which were from the northwest and in particular one from Goka there was a real kind of resonance with I suppose a notion of the present as well you know and and also the skills resonance with the skills of the volunteers of the museum and particularly this focus on textiles both with these uh, this collection of amazing looms, but also the kind of wider industry. And also kind of a, something of a conflict between looking out of the window much of the, the sort of topography of, and the landscape of the Valley and Goka dominated by mills or ruins of mills or footings of mills or sites of mills, which were very much about the mass industrialization. These quiet samplers that were sort of in these beautiful cylinder boxes in tissue paper were just a real reminder of actually the root of the area where it all started, which were individuals working all the hours they could to make a crust using their incredible skill. 
So really, I kind of wanted to to sort of quieten all of the the very obvious kind of initial impression of of the valley and just return to what was there before. And I think what the museum stands for, which is which is the individual maker in pursuit of just making a living, but also communicating something of themselves and of themselves. And I really felt these samplers were just the, the, the immediate kind of entry point into that. And there was a visual language, which I, I really kind of, it, it felt other. It didn't feel like it was a current visual language. And I wanted to kind of revive that and work with that. And it just so happened that in the museum, there are, as I mentioned before, these incredible experts, you know, textile workers, clog makers, and I thought, well, I, I want to do something that is working with them, working with the fabric that they make, working with the leather, you know, but rather than designing something for them, just working with them and producing, I suppose you call them kind of process-based interventions in a way. And in the case of the samplers, I, we, through having a conversation with Melanie and Mark at the museum, I was told about this incredible group of textile workers who meet I think it's once every other week always at weekly at the museum and in fact at the time there was an exhibition and I was just completely bowled over by the sheer skill and the real beauty of some of this work that was on display and again a bit like Raymond when I sort of went to meet them they were already modest and didn't really think of themselves as artists at all and it made me think well god you know they they are doing something that I cannot ever even <laughs> dream to sort of attain and isn't it strange, this term artist that we give ourselves, it seems like it's a very movable thing. And actually thinking about ourselves in terms of makers is a far more democratic kind of notion, which again taps back into this very sort of socialist idea that's in the area. So in the, in the end, I ended up working with this small group of volunteers from the textile group to design and produce, um, I suppose, contemporary samplers based on new maxims. Uh, so new motivational, not in the sort of corporate sense, but maxims like um, pride in um, sufficiency and things like that. Just little kind of phrases, sayings, that were in the mode of early 19th century uh, kind of samplers and, mm. and a lot of ceramics, but just, just somehow capturing the essence of the museum. And they have gone away with a batch of materials I bought them and produced the most incredible pieces. Mm. But then also working with the leather workers, I've designed these stamps, these um, embossing stamps, which will be used on the leather to make the clogs, which, which is going to make the clogs. But um, they say things like hands to make, feet to carry, just really quiet, interventions kind of doing exactly what Melanie said which is just doing something it's very very peace sort of peaceful quiet small intervention which just somehow changes the context and the way something is viewed and revalues it or reevaluates it I'm also working with the uh, wonderful bakers in the kitchen and I'm producing a, a, a sort of bread stamp which will be used uh, used on bread or biscuits, or I think it's the llama bread, isn't it, that uh, that's made there. Uh, and I'm working with a woodcarver who lives in the valley. So I tried as much as possible to work with people in the area within the region. But, um, but yeah, I, I didn't feel like a kind of grand installation would work at the museum. But I suppose one concession to that idea would be that we are producing very much in the kind of mode of um, sort of trade guilds, uh, a large banner, because it, it sort of seemed immediately kind of crazy to me that you have around you like brass bands, miners' cooperatives, churches, they all have their own banners that, that are processed, I think, on Goka Lily Day. Is that correct? Well, on Whit Sunday, traditionally. Sunday, but sorry. it ties in with Goka Lily Day, yeah. It's crazy that a museum that's been around for 50 years doesn't have its own banner. So so working with the cloth that Raymond has produced, 
which is just exquisite. I'm working with a textile company and um, fashion company down the road called McNair Shirts. Mm-hmm. We are constructing this large-scale banner, which will be processed on, I think, Goku Lily Day and mm-hmm. also um, Whit Sunday. Was it Whit Sunday or Whit Monday? Whit Monday. Well, yeah. Interchange. Whit- yeah, but Goku Lily Day, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, and uh, and then it will be uh, displayed on Good Weather Days at the, the entrance to the museum. But the banner says, "In praise of makers." Mm. And it, it, I mean, the process of, of kind of, I suppose, refining those, these ideas went through so many different kind of guises, didn't it? I mean, mm. you know, at one point I was really interested in the kind of political side of things and the fact that it had been a, a sort of social uh, uh, socialist club. And but it's nothing that that didn't really seem to stick. And I sort of went around envisaging various different kind of um ways it might sort of uh, appear and then I just it just just came back to making in the end mm. and I think particularly at the moment and particularly because of the spirit of the area which as I said has got this history of kind of regenerating itself and that there are lots of new industries there incidentally I'm actually from sort of northern dales where the industrial revolution didn't really hit it was principally mm. farming but it's set up, it's got exactly the same topography, it's got the same kind of strong rivers and connections to rail links and also kind of wall. So there could have been a textile industry there, but it didn't happen. And the difference is so incredible. Uh, and I get this sort of like little kind of peak of excitement as I drive over the kind of moor tops or down into kind of Huddersfield. Just this, it just feels exciting. There's loads of stuff going on. And, and as obviously, you know, at the moment, so much is changing so quickly uh, and you know, maybe maybe there isn't a very, very small way of move away from the corporate and from the, the, the mass production and the mass industry. And maybe there are, you know, there is, a, there is a revival going of kind of the makers, you know, in all sorts of ways. I mean, I see people on Instagram and friends who are making in a very, very tiny way at home, but managing to make a crust, which is what it really is about, and connecting with people and, you know, supporting one another and, and community. And they're all the things that I think are there in abundance at, at the museum. Uh, it's so exciting. Yeah, yeah, thanks thanks for that. Just pointing out, Ed, that, and Melanie, that, Ed, you suggested your ideas ch- have changed since the beginning of, of sort of doing quite a modest little installation with the banner and everything. But now you wanted to really curate a space too. So, yeah. Melanie, you have agreed to remove the uh, objects from a space in your museum and give it over to Ed because... Yes. You felt that, it, well, you both uh, together um, discussed that. And that is quite a bold move for a museum to do. Could you just say a little bit about that, Melanie? Yes, we did a big heritage lottery fund a few years ago to develop part of the, the building. And part of that was to create uh, what would have been the family living area, the upstairs middle air, below the loom chamber, where the family would have lived. And so we've got what has become a, really a, a Victorian bedroom, a Weaver's Cottage bedroom. And we decided that actually is next to our very plain museum-style gallery. But we're going to use that because that Ed suggested to us that we could put something on which was almost telling the history of the museum in 50 objects coming up to our 50th anniversary. 50 in a year, actually, about the time we've come out of COVID and opened again. And so from that point of view, that fits for us beautifully in terms of celebrating our uh, collection, but also having an artist to come in and, as he said, you did curate an exhibition. And I think just listening to Ed there, I sort of had that excitement again that we felt at the beginning of seeing what was the potential. And all of this was because Ed was coming to work alongside us. It wasn't coming to do something to us or put something in the museum. Um, it was about teasing out and getting us to look again. So 
then saying to us, okay, how about using this room and stripping out what's in it was a, was an easy step in a sense because we saw the absolute sense of it. I suppose the other thing as well, which it occurred to me, was listening to all of that reminded me that the, the skills that we've learned through the meeting point have led us also to move on and, and con- consider now commissioning for the future. We've got a second project which is beginning to be shaped up following on and we would never have had those skills without being able to work with Meeting Point and also do the work alongside Ed to give us the confidence to do that. That's brilliant. That's a good compliment to Arts and Heritage. Thank you, Melanie. Mm-hmm. I think I'll probably draw this to a close. Um, could we just sort of remind ourselves when this opens up? Because obviously it'll be 2021. It has slightly delayed of. of some reasons <laughs> for during 2020. Could we remind ourselves the dates that this opens up and look forward to that? So, Melanie, could you just tell us what the, when that's happening? Yeah, we are hoping that we will be able to reopen and pick up again the, the threads, no pun intended, and get Ed working with us again um, through um, May-June time. I, I'm leaving that flexibly because we're not entirely certain when we will be able to, uh, to put the whole thing on. We're hoping we will be able to have Go Kalila Day again and so we will be able to focus having the Impraise of Makers banner up, unfurled on a sunny day uh, in the middle of, uh, you know, glorious hillsides. But we're just, that's what the intention is. So we're looking at spring, early summer next year. Spring, early summer next year. Ed, uh, do you want to say anything else or...? Uh, yeah, it's 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 been a great opportunity. And yeah, I want to echo what Melanie's just said. I mean, thanks to Meeting Point for, you know, giving me the opportunity. Mm. I mean, it has completely changed uh, my practice and the way that I think about my work as well. Um, and I think the long term relationships that are going to spring up, I hope will, will continue because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just been a joy so far to work. We're not even really finished yet. And, and I think, you know, already I'm dreading completing the commission because <laughs> it's been so good. But it, it really has been an extraordinary and continues to be an extraordinary experience. So so thank you for that. Well, well thank you both. Um, and, we, you know, Ed, we, we did talk about touring the work at some point. So we'll be looking at, at other places to tour that. Thank you so much, both of you. It's been a delight. I'm glad that we're still, you know, working with you. We hope that uh, we'll be able to work with you into the future. But um, have a good day today and thank you both very much. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this Arts and Heritage podcast. You've been listening to artist Ed Clues and Cone Valley Museum's Melanie Williams. This episode was hosted by Judith King and produced by Kiki Claxton and Tim O'Donoghue. Join us next time when we'll be discussing artist Kasif Nadim Chowdhury's commission What is Home at National Trust Croom. And do sign up to our newsletter at artsandheritage.org.uk.